Welcome to Famous People You've Never Heard Of, the podcast brought to you by Blue Fire Theatre Company. Each episode is devoted to the discovery of someone once well-renowned and now no longer recognised. We've made it our mission to try to keep the stars of yesterday burning bright and to remember those people in danger of being lost to history. If you enjoy our podcast, do subscribe via your provider so that we'll be a little more visible and you'll never miss an episode. I'm Lottie Walker and it's my pleasure to spend some time with all these wonderful people. I hope you enjoy meeting them too. So today in our Zoom room, we are blessed to have the really wonderful Chinoa Murphy, who's come to talk to us all the way from the US of A. Chinoa is a musician, an academic, an educator, a podcaster. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That's my absolute pleasure. Would you mind telling our lovely listeners a little bit about you and then we will talk about the the main event which is the uh, hero of the day Samuel Coleridge Taylor. I've been playing the violin since age three. I started in the Suzuki Violin Method and as they say the rest is history. I've gone on to have my bachelor's master's uh, in violin performance from the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music and pretty much have been in this field for as long as I can remember. I would say as of two years ago, the world kind of came to a standstill uh, for two reasons. One is because of COVID-19 and also two, because of the shooting deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor that took place here in the United States. And I remember thinking that protests were happening all over the world in places that I did not think would even be paying attention to what's been happening because the discussion of police brutality in the Black community has really been going on for a very, very long time. But this felt different. And I remember thinking, well, what can I do to be part of the solution? And it came to me that I used to teach being a classically trained musician that I used to teach on Black classical composers and musicians the fall of 2019. So I decided to brush up those classes and add more people and do more research. And I started offering these classes to music teachers, musicians. And as they say, it has just really, really taken off. And so Samuel Coleridge-Taylor is one of the composers that I talk about, and I find him quite fascinating. Born in Croydon to an English mother and an African father, Sierra Leone to be exact. His father was a doctor, a physician, and was doing pretty well, you know, while in medical school and also serving as an assistant physician. But when he decided to have his own practice, that's when his father experienced, I guess, some pushback from the white people who did not want to have a Black doctor. And so he decided to go back to Sierra Leone and did not realize upon his departure that he would have a son. Samuel Coleridge Taylor is born without knowing his father may have known of him, but definitely had no contact with him, no contact with that side of his family, and was pretty much raised 
by his mother and her side of the family who were also musicians. It was his grandfather who started teaching him violin at the age of six. And so he's pretty much raised in the society and culture of being an Englishman until he reached the height of his career when Hiawatha's wedding feast was composed. It was as popular back then as Handel's Messiah and Mendelssohn's Elijah. It was performed over 200 times, and we're talking a huge production of choir, soloists, dancers. I mean, it was a huge, huge deal. And so because of the success of this piece of music, he was invited on three separate occasions to come here to the United States. And I believe we're talking 1904, 1906, in 1910. And so his first tour here, there was a 200-voice African-American choir called the Samuel Coleridge Taylor Society, because you have to think of the different time periods. So you have Samuel Coleridge Taylor, African-British or African-English, who has a bit more freedoms. You know, he attended college, the Royal College of Music. Ralph Vaughn Williams was one of his classmates, and also Elgar recommended that Samuel Coleridge Taylor would conduct the Three Choirs Festival that took place every year. For some reason, Elgar wasn't able to conduct this festival. So Black Americans, particularly those in music or classical music, are seeing this Black man have these freedoms and these accolades that they themselves were not able to experience due to racism and discrimination and segregation. And so when he came here, he was a hero. And again, there's this 200-voice Samuel Coleridge Taylor Choir, and he conducts the orchestra and gets invited to visit the White House. I believe Theodore Roosevelt was the president at the time. And so he comes in contact with notable Black Americans such as Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who's a poet, and Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. And I can see somewhere there's a discussion of his lineage. And so as a result of him coming here and learning of the plight of Black Americans here, he probably felt a level of solidarity And so his music begins to go in a different direction where he includes African melodies and African rhythms and even the title of his compositions, such as 24 uh, Negro Melodies, start to take on more of his African side. His fame and his fortune did not last very long because he decided to sell the rights to Hiawatha's wedding feast. And so because of that, it caused him much strain, I guess, in terms of providing for a family, which led to an early death at the age of 37. It was said that he passed out in the train station and passed out due to exhaustion, was diagnosed as having pneumonia, and died shortly after. And they say the exhaustion was just due to trying to regain that fame again, or at least, if anything, just make a living to provide for his family. And it was a struggle 
He did not realize that that piece of music would go on to make an additional 10,000 copies. He just, for whatever reason, was short-sighted in the vision of what he had. When you're doing your teaching, are you telling your pupils about the actual influence that he had on Black people in the States, or are you talking more about him? Well, I feel like that's a part of his story. So I cover about eight composers in all, and so not all of them are from the United States. You know, I talk about George Bridgetower, who was in Germany and in London. And then I talk about Joseph Bologna, who was Afro-French. Just from me talking, my students noticed that the Black composers who lived abroad seemed to have had a bit more freedom in their expression and was more, I guess, acclimated into their society. Whereas here, you know, again, just deep segregation, A lot of the Black composers here would have known each other, would have collaborated with each other. So in terms of influence, you know, it just depends on where they come from. You were saying when we were chatting earlier about him being a a Pan-African as well and attending conferences and stuff. Tell me about that, because I I love the fact that he's obviously trying so hard to get in touch with all of his identity. Yes, absolutely. Um, He's not abandoning anything. He's taking everything on board, which is brilliant. To my knowledge, there was a Pan-African conference held in London. I believe it would have been the first conference held in London, and he would have been one of the youngest delegates to attend this conference. And I believe this is where he heard the Fisk Jubilee Singers out of Fisk University, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. They were on tour Uh, European tour, and he may have heard them singing African spirituals uh, for the first time. And of course, it caught his ear and um, struck a chord within him. And I believe that was the beginning seeds of him coming in touch with his Africanness. And so, yes, you do see and can research his attempts to get in contact with that side of himself. I have not read anything that stated that he was not allowed to go to this college or collaborate with this person or this fellow composer or whatnot due to the color of his skin. And he certainly went to the the best colleges and he mixed with the best people. Which is where he met his wife. His wife, Jessie, was also a former classmate of his. He died, bless him, so young. He was obviously so talented because there's a huge, great canon of work. And he did it all in such a short period of time. Yes. His music, his composing style, everything was considered light music, very much the English style. He was a Black English composer. (laughs) Well, you, you guys probably have more access to his music and whatnot than here. And and that's been one of the struggles with a lot of the teachers, especially those who teach children. They want to be able to teach their children these pieces, but they're not on the rudimentary level. You know, they're, they're more on the advanced level. And so I feel there's still a lot of work to do to make his music and other 
Black composers to making their music accessible and especially accessible for children. Because if we can educate children, especially Black children, Black American, Black English, so they can see themselves represented in this music, then perhaps there would be more adults who become musicians. Um, Because I remember growing up and it was quite easy for me to be either the only or one of the few. And while I believe that is changing and the numbers are increasing, there's still a lot of work to be done to ensure representation. Tell me you still enjoy playing. You know what? I do. I really do. And I'm constantly asking, you know, well, what else can I do? I still just enjoyed it. In fact, this past weekend, I was in another city, Peoria, Illinois. Currently, I live in Springfield. But I was in Peoria and we performed Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and also Beethoven's Fifth Piano Concerto. And I was just in cloud nine. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) And have you played much Coleridge Taylor? That's a very good question. I had the honor of performing his Hiawatha's Overture. There is a Black classical music festival that takes place every year called Color of Music. And so that was my very first time playing anything in the orchestral repertoire by a Black composer. And so his Hiawatha's Overture, I believe we also performed part of his wedding feast. And it hit me in a different way that I will never forget. And then also being in an all-Black orchestra, the conductor is Black. And I know people may be hearing this and thinking, oh, well, what's the big deal? But just speaking from personal experience, when you've gone throughout your life, particularly in a field that you really do love and embrace deeply, and just not see people who look like you. Of course, you get on with life and you find the joy. And I don't know, it's just something that I always noticed. And so, again, in 2017, just having the opportunity to be around other colleagues of yours in this field, professionals who can play this music like the best of them. And and it was just amazing. Is he performed very often in the States? Yes, I would say that within the last two or three years, Black composers in general have started to be on the programs of the New York Philharmonic, even the BBC Proms. If you're familiar with the Chinookay Orchestra, they perform music by Black composers quite a bit. Florence Price, who was a Black female composer, the Philadelphia Orchestra received a Grammy for recording her first and fourth symphony. So word is spreading, word is getting around, like a lot of the major orchestras in this country, New York Phil, Detroit, St. Louis, what have you, as well as the regional orchestras are performing music by Black composers. And it's it's amazing to me. I think anyone, and this is what I say in my courses, anyone who can find themselves in any industry in this life deserves to be represented. That's, that's just how I feel, especially if they've heavily contributed to the field. 
Now, before I let you go, I'm just going to ask you a cheeky little question. Okay. So apart from Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, who would you like to have at your fantasy dinner party? Oh, Joseph Bologna, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, hands down. I mean, he is indeed one of my favorite, if not my favorite composer to talk about. Because talk about having many interests and having been uh, present in so many different facets of life, from war hero to champion fencer, composer, violinist, had his own orchestra. I can go on and on the things. He was truly a Renaissance man of his time. So I would love to ask him so many questions, so many questions. Well, look, it's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find further information about our guests and the people we've been speaking about on the show notes. We do hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And if you have, please give us a review online and subscribe via your provider. It really does make a difference. If you like what we do and would like to help us in our work and to keep the podcast going, you might like to consider becoming a patron. It's really easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash theatre. Or if you prefer to make a one-off donation, you can do so on our website, bluefiretheatre.co.uk or buy us a coffee at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash theatre. Even the smallest donation helps us take our shows on the road and keep the lights on in the studio. We really appreciate and are so grateful for all your support. Finally, don't forget to follow us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Look for Blue Fire Theatre Company on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.